And now, a Sorry Wrong Door production of a podcast for your enjoyment. Strange, interesting, and slightly gamey. An absurd glimpse into the post-eclectic age. Sugar's only sweetness. Salt is ocean tears. And you were my only weakness. For years and years and years. Are we going? SISG is a broad spectrum show where we cover topics from the worlds of music, live entertainment, film, nostalgia, pop culture, and anything else that comes into our heads, all with an emphasis on the strange and the unusual. It's basically the things that interest us and we hope will interest you too. Now the devil, she must be a dentist with deep jawbreaker eyes. Red rope hair, gumdrop lips, cotton candy thighs. You're my candy. Hey, boys and girls, welcome to podcast number. What is it again? It's 18. Oh, wow. Podcast number 18. And I'm Greg, we're here with uh, Uncle Frank and Jimmy Sweets. What do we got, boys? First, UFOs are back. We have more first-hand accounts and news reports about these mysterious objects and another Power Records offering featuring the $6 million man. And we're going to remember dementia. And that's not just a contradiction. It's also a great discussion about the great Dr. Demento. And on that note, it's March Madness, so we're going to celebrate the top 64 novelty songs. We'll break them down and we'll find out who's number one. It's March Madness, baby! Let's get started. As the Secretary General of the United Nations, an organization of 147 member states who represent almost all of the human inhabitants of the planet Earth, I send greetings on behalf of the people of our planet. We step out of our solar system into the universe seeking only peace and friendship to teach if we are called upon, to be taught if we are fortunate. We know full well that our planet and all its inhabitants are but a small part of this immense universe that surrounds us, and it is with humility and hope that we take this step. Hi there, nice to be with you. Happy you could stick around. Like to introduce Legs Larry Smith, drums, and Sam Spoon's rhythm pole, and Vern Dudley Bohay Noel, bass guitar. And Neil Innes, piano. Come in, Rodney Slater on the saxophone. With Roger Ruskin Spear on tenor sax. Hi, Vivian Stanchel, trumpet. Big hello to Big John Wayne, xylophone. And Robert Morley, guitar. Billy Butlin, spoons. And looking very relaxed. Adolf Hitler on vibes. Nice. Princess Anne on sousaphone. Introducing Liberace clarinet. With Donna Ted Armstrong on vocals. Lord Snooty and his pals tap dancing. In the groove with Harold Wilson violin. Franklin McCormack on harmonica. 
Over there, Eric Clapton, ukulele. Hi, Eric. On my left, Sir Kenneth Park, bass sax. Great honor, sir. Especially flown in for us, a Sessions Gorilla on Vox Humana. Nice to see Incredible Shrinking Man on Euphonium. Drop out with Peter Scott on Duck Call. Hearing from you later, Casanova on Horn. Yeah, digging General De Gaulle on accordion. Really wild, General. Thank you, sir. Roy Rogers on Trigger. Tune in Wild Man of Borneo on Bongos. Count Basie Orchestra on Triangle. Thank you. Great to hear the Rawlinsons on trombone. Back from his recent operation, Dan Drop, hot. And representing the flower people, Quasimodo on bells. Wonderful to hear Brainiac on banjo. We welcome Baldunican as himself. Very appealing, Max Jaffer. Mmm, that's nice, Max. What a team, Zebra Kid and Horace Bachelor on percussion. And a great favorite and a wonderful performer, all of us here, J. Arthur Rank on Gong. We have another mashup tonight of both documentaries and news reports. Just a few more stories of visitors from the night sky. An incident which is perhaps one of the most widely publicized and well-known close encounter cases involved Betty Hill and her late husband Barney. The Hill case has become a classic example of alleged extraterrestrial contact with human beings because it contains elements which are still the subject of heated debate among UFO investigators all over the world. On the 19th of September, 1961, as Betty and Barney Hill were driving in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, they saw a distant point of light which seemed to move erratically. As it moved closer, the light became more intense, Betty Hill remembers. When we reached what is called the Indian Head area, this craft left the top of the mountain, came out of the highway, and stopped in midair. Barney took the binoculars and started out of the car in an attempt to identify the craft. And as he did this, he saw a group of figures standing in the windows looking down at him. One was saying to him, don't be afraid, keep looking, keep looking, stay there, don't be afraid, no harm's gonna come to you, but stay there. And the craft started to descend. And Barney ran back to the car, saying we had to get out of there, they were going to capture us. And we took off speeding down the highway. There was a series of beeping sounds. That was all the Hills could remember about the incident when they finally arrived home, but they both had an uneasy feeling that there was something more. Months passed, but life was not the same for the Hills. Barney suffered recurring headaches. They were tense, upset, couldn't sleep. Finally, they took their troubles to a Boston psychiatrist, Benjamin Simon, who used hypnotic regression to discover the root cause of their distress. We relived where the ones on the craft were now on the ground, blocking so we couldn't drive. Body put on the brakes, the car motor died. They separated, came up on each side, took us out, took us in a path 
through the woods, took us on board, gave us physical examinations. We were being kidnapped. Betty Hill remembers being able to offer a detailed description of her alien abductors. They're all shot. The leader, I would say, was my height or may, just a little taller than I am, and I'm five foot. They all had dark uniforms. I shouldn't say uniform. All had a one-piece dark clothing on. And some were wearing jackets, and some were wearing caps, others were not. They were bald, no hair, no eyebrows, no eyelashes, and no earlobes, no ear, you know, we could say. Very large eyes, very small, flat nose, thin slit for mouth. Dr. Simon was astounded by Betty's hypnotic recall of the alleged abduction, mainly because Barney told him essentially the same incredible story in a separate hypnotic interview. Simon felt the possibility of a hoax was remote. The Hills had obviously undergone a traumatic experience, but was it real or an illusion? Betty Hill describes her experience aboard the craft. I was shown a star map. When he showed me the map, he said, do you know where you are on the map? And I said, no, I don't. So I assume he meant our sun and planets. He also said the heavy lines on the map were places they went all the time. The lighter lines were places they went occasionally or frequently. The broken lines were expeditions. And of course, our own sun system was a place where they go frequently or occasionally. Through a post-hypnotic suggestion, Betty reproduced the star map. Years later, an Ohio school teacher, Marjorie Fish, saw the map and began a tedious attempt to verify its accuracy. Since the map was uh, apparently drawn from the vantage point of the Euphonauts and not from Earth, it had to be checked out by way of a model rather than using just our sky maps. And so I started to get information on how to build and started building models of the nearby star systems. I built about 22 models in all. When uh, Betty claims to have seen the map, it was 1961. When she drew the map, it was 1964. Uh, the original data I worked with were catalogs from 1963 and 1964, and I was not able to find the whole pattern. I did get a large part of the pattern, but I couldn't fit in the last three that had lines to or any of the background stars. And when um, the 1969 Gleesey catalog came out, then the last three stars fell into place, plus the background stars. And uh, Betty could not possibly have uh, drawn that map from anything that she had seen or could have used at the time that she drew the map as a hoax. Also, she doesn't have the astronomy knowledge to do so. And uh, again, it could not have been a hoax by anyone else on Earth at that time. Betty Hill's star map is probably the most convincing evidence of alien visitors to Earth thus far. Dr. Hynek summarizes the Hill case. Now, what many commentators seem to have missed in this star map situation, and which makes the case truly unique, is that the lines connecting certain stars that were drawn by Betty Hill who by her own admission knew little of astronomy, just happened to connect only those stars that, like the sun, are capable of supporting life on a nearby planet. The odds against this happening purely by chance are staggering, especially when one considers that of the 1,000 stars in the solar neighborhood, only 48 fall into this category. Finally, 
the Air Force has confirmed that a UFO was tracked on radar in the vicinity of New Hampshire's White Mountains on the night of the Hill's abduction. Ohio Governor John Gilligan says that on Monday night, when he and his wife were driving near Ann Arbor, Michigan, they saw what might have been an unidentified flying object. Gilligan said, uh, described it as vertical-shaped and amber-colored. For weeks now, there have been reports of UFO sightings in many parts of the country, but especially the Gulf Coast. Jed Duval reports. Some motel operators have extended their greetings in this resort area, and it's in every conversation. One newspaper put a sketch of a supposed extraterrestrial visitor on the front page. Gulfport police have received so many calls that they've posted a nighttime watch, which officials say accounts for most sightings as ordinary earthly airplanes, like this one. But while on traffic duty, patrolman David Tomasowski saw something large and round moving low and without noise right over the city. I don't know what it was. I, I know it wasn't a plane or a helicopter. You know it wasn't a plane or a helicopter? Oh, most definitely. It's, it's uh, dis distinctively different. It's uh, when you first, even the lights were even different. There was, there was no flashing lights. It was just a constant white glow. Those who are skeptical must also challenge Sergeant David Waller, who saw it too, and corroborate... Have extraterrestrials visit us here on Earth? Well, 14 men from seven different countries participated in a panel discussion to describe why they believe UFOs have visited Earth. And these aren't guys they just picked up off the street. The panel includes former governor of Arizona, Fife Symington, who is one of many Arizonans who said they saw UFOs back in 1997 during an episode that is popularly referred to as the Phoenix Lights. Major sighting here. We want the United States government to stop perpetuating the myth that all UFOs can be explained away in down-to-earth and conventional terms. Instead, our country needs to reopen its official investigation that it shut down in 1969. Also participating was a retired Air Force captain who says he and his passengers saw a huge flying disc. Also, a retired Peruvian Air Force pilot who says he came within 300 feet of a circular UFO flying at 63,000 feet. And then there is a retired U.S. Air Force security officer who, while stationed in England, was summoned to a downed aircraft in a forest. When we came up on the triangular-shaped craft, there were blue and yellow lights swirling around the exterior as though they were part of the surface. The air around us was electrically charged, and we could uh, feel it on our clothes, our skin, and our hair. Down in Dice Air Force Base in Texas, we were testing what turned out to be the F-94s. They reported on the scope that uh, they had an unidentified flying object flying at a high speed going to intercept our course. It became visible to us. And we watched it, and we wanted to take after it, but uh, headquarters wouldn't let us go after it. And it played around a little bit, and we got to watching how it made 90-degree turns at this high speed and everything. We knew it wasn't a missile of any type. Willingham's sighting occurred late in 1948, but he remained silent about the experience for nearly 30 years, deciding only recently to forsake an oath of secrecy in the public interest for this investigation. When the incident took place, the UFO was originally tracked by a chain of radar stations along the Arctic Circle called the Dew Line, part of North America's air defense system. So then we conferred it with the radar control station on the Dew Line, 
and they kept following it and they claimed that it crashed somewhere down off in the between Texas and old Mexico border. And um, we got a light aircraft, me and my co-pilot, and we went down to the site and we landed out in the pasture right across from where it hit at. So we got over there, they told us to leave and everything else, and then the armed guards come out and they started forming a, a line around the area. So on the way back, I seen a little piece of metal, so I picked it up and brought it back with me. There were two sand mounds that came down, and it looked to me like this thing crashed right in between them. But it went into the ground, according to the way the people were acting around it. So we actually never did get right up to the site to see what had crashed. But you could see for Oh, I'd say probably three to 500 feet where it had went across the sand, like in there. And I, it looked to me like, I guess, from the metal that we found, chunks of metal, that either had a little explosion or it began to disintegrate or something caused this metal to come apart, you know. After they had left the crash site, Willingham and his co-pilot examined the piece of metal and found it to possess unusual qualities. It looked like it was uh, something made because it was honeycombed. You know how you make metal for where it will cool faster? In a way, it looked like a magnesium steel, but it uh, had a lot of carbon in it because I tried to heat it with a cutting torch and uh, it just wouldn't melt. A cutting torch with acetylene and oxygen burns it anywhere from 32 to 3,800 degrees Fahrenheit and it would make the metal hot but it wouldn't even start to make it yield. Willingham took the material to a Marine Corps metallurgy lab in Hagerstown, Maryland for analysis. Several days later he was told that the man he had contacted there had never worked for the lab and that no one else there knew anything about the piece of metal. Willingham adds this postscript. Well at that time all unidentified flying objects, uh, anybody had reported one through the Air Force had to be debriefed on it. Even the uh, radar operators were debriefed on what they had followed on the screen. We were not to even discuss it among the pilots that had seen it that had been on this mission. We weren't even discussed it among ourselves. We signed papers that we would not discuss it with nobody. And now, pretentious readings from Scholastic Books. We continue our UFO theme now with a collection of sightings penned by Rita Gelman and Marcia Selgason back in 1978 from their Scholastic book, UFO Encounters, 
the case of Patrolman Shermer. The dogs in Ashland, Nebraska, were howling more than usual on that night of December 3rd, 1967. A bull at the edge of town was crashing at its gate. As patrolman Herbert Shermer cruised along Highway 63, he wondered about the noise. It was usually quiet in Ashland at 2.30 a.m. Just before he reached Highway 6, Shermer noticed what he thought was a truck flashing its red lights. Shermer turned on his high beams so that he could see more clearly. The flashing red lights disappeared into the sky. At 3 a.m., Shermer arrived at the police station. He wrote in his record book, saw a flying saucer at the junction of Highway 6 and 63, believe it or not. That night, Shermer couldn't sleep. He had a buzzing in his head and a fierce headache. Then he noticed a red sore below his left ear. He had no memory of having hurt himself. Shermer's flying saucer was reported to a UFO investigating committee. Shermer was hypnotized to determine if he was telling the truth. Under hypnosis, Shermer realized that he had no memory at all of the minutes that followed his sighting of the truck. He could not recall anything that had happened between 2.30 and 2.50. For months after he made his missing time discovery, Shermer was bothered. What had happened in those 20 minutes? Why couldn't he remember? Shermer was getting headaches all the time now. He couldn't concentrate on his job. You can't be a good policeman if you have personal problems, he said, and he quit. Shermer wanted to try hypnosis again, to get at whatever was hidden deep in his mind. He was sure that something had happened during those 20 lost minutes, and he wanted to know what it was. So Shermer was hypnotized again. The hypnotist told him, you are back at Route 63. It is 2.30 in the morning on December 3rd, 1967. And then Shermer remembered. The trek had not disappeared. Shermer had been able to follow it into the field. When he got close, he saw that it looked like a huge, silvery, glowing football. Shermer watched as the craft set down three legs and landed on the ground. The craft was making a whooshing sound and flashing its lights. Shermer had tried to call the station, but his radio was dead. So were his lights and his engine. He looked out the window of his patrol car and saw strange-looking creatures coming toward him. They were small and wore silver uniforms with a picture of a winged serpent on the left front side. They wore boots and gloves and helmets, close-fitting and the same as the silvery substance as the uniforms. Each being wore a round walkie-talkie contraption. The little machine was attached where we have our left ear. Shermer was terrified. He tried to draw his gun. He couldn't do it. He wanted to leave, but he couldn't do that either. Something was making him stay. 
but he wasn't able to explain what that something was. When the beings were next to the car, Shermer noticed a puff of greenish gas. He felt something pressing against his neck, just below his left ear, and he saw a bright flash of light. Then he was entering the craft. It was cold and filled with computer-like machines. The beings talked to him through their ear machines. He could hear their voices, but they never moved their mouths. They told him they were from a nearby galaxy. They told him they were a small ship, and they showed him on a big screen a view of their mothership out in space. They told him that they had bases here on Earth, underground and underwater. They were kind and friendly to him. They spoke to him in English, in strange-sounding mechanical voices. Shermer thought perhaps they were connected to computers that could speak his language. He also had the strange feeling that they were able to feed ideas directly into his mind. He knew so much more about them than they had said, and his mind felt full, tired. Perhaps the red sore near his ear was a clue. Perhaps he was somehow connected to their computer. Finally, the alien beings told him not to talk about his visit inside the ship. They told him to say only that he had seen the ship and that it had disappeared. Then they took him back to his police car. Shermer watched as the humming craft disappeared into the night sky. Shermer's story is fantastic. It is the most detailed report of an encounter with alien beings that exist. Yet until that night in December, Shermer didn't even believe in UFOs. In fact, he hadn't ever thought about them. His father had been in the Air Force, so when Shermer thought of flying things, he thought only of planes. In December, before Shermer quit his job and then found out what had happened to him in those lost 20 minutes, he was promoted to the head of his police department. He had always been respected by the people in Ashland. Certainly if he had seen a traffic accident, he would have been considered a reliable witness. Does his astonishing story make him less reliable? Once again, we are baffled. Is it fiction? 
Executor of Mr. Muldoon's estate, I have been empowered to read Mr. Muldoon's last will and testament. Well, get on with it. The bar's open soon. <laughs> oh, poor dear Arthur! Ah! Oh, there, there, Jenny. God, how predictably boring. I never work for a kinder man. If we are all seated, I shall proceed with the reading. I knew it. <laughs> I, Arthur Durham Muldoon, being of sound mind and body... That's a laugh. <laughs> ...do hereby divide up my considerable estate as follows. To my overly emotional sister, Jenny... <laughs> Jenny, darling, he's talking about us. ...who grubbed with her husband, Hank, grubbed for everything they could get from me, and then cried crocodile tears when I needed sympathy. What? To Jenny, I leave a boot to the head. A what? Jenny, are you okay? And another boot to her wimpy husband, Hank. Ow! <laughs> this is an outrage. Ah, uh, but still, you are my sister. You have both admired my Rolls Royce, and since I no longer need it... Oh, dear Arthur, he's too kind. I bequeath another boot to the head. What? Ow! <laughs> and one more for the win. Ow! Next to my alcoholic brother... Hey, I don't want no boot to the head. To dear Hedge, who has never worked a day in his drunken life... I'm covering up my head. I leave my wine cellar and three crates of my finest whiskey. Really? And a boot to the head. Oh! And another for Jenny in the wind. Oh! Oh! Next, to my know-it-all nephew, Ralston... This is so predictable. I leave a boot to the head. Oh, I knew it. And one for Jenny in the wind. This takes care of family obligations. And now to Mrs. Mulroy. Oh, I don't want nothing. Who took care of me faithfully these many, many years. Who cared, made me laugh, brought me tea. Oh, I didn't mind. To Mrs. Mulroy, I bequeath a boot to the head. Oh. And one for Jenny in the wind. Ah. Oh! And so to my cat mittens, I leave my entire vast boot to the head. And finally, to my lawyer, who has helped me on this will, 
I leave not a boot to the head, but a rabid Tasmanian devil to be placed in his trousers. Oh, and, and, and I leave my entire estate of $10 million to the people of Calgary so they can afford to move somewhere decent. That's it? That's disgraceful. Yeah, that's okay. There's one last thing for everyone. Cover your heads, everybody. <laughs> I leave everyone a lifetime supply of ice cream. Ice cream? Ice cream. Ice cream, that's all? That's all. Well, what flavor is it? Boot to the head. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble! Okay, well, it's March, and you know what that means. Lots of drinking with Irish people, yes, but it's also time for March Madness. And at SISG, we don't do basketball. We do, this year, novelty songs. Yeah, baby. So we've got the top 64 novelty songs. We're going to break them down, and we're going to go round by round. And we have our, our panel here, our other announcers. This is Uncle Frank. Jimmy Sweets. And I will provide the uh, tiebreakers here. So let's get right into it. All right, sports fans, buckle up. We got four brackets here. We got the Mr. Natural bracket. And out in the West, we got nudity on the run brackets. And then coming down in the Southeast, we got the Weird Al bracket. And finally, our fourth bracket. This is your grandmother's bracket. So, boys, let's start in the Mr. Natural bracket. We got the number one seed Junk Food Junkies facing off the number 16 seed Pencil Neck Geeks. What do you got? Well, uh, Junk Food Junkie is pretty much my lifestyle, and Pencil Neck Geek thing, that's just a mean wrestler kind of uh, spouting off. So, I'm going to, I got to go Junk Food Junkie. It's not even a, a close second. Junk Food Junkie for me. <laughs> junk Food Junkies moves on, Pencil Neck Geeks out. The number eight seed Beer Gut Song. Facing number nine seed, Rappin' Rodney. What do you got? Well, there again, that's my lifestyle with the uh, Beer Gut song, so I'm going to stick with that one. Uh, you know what? I enjoy a rap, a rap every once in a while, so I'm going to go with Rappin' Rodney. And the shot's up in the air at the buzzer, and Rappin' Rodney moves on. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully it won't hurt too many feelings. Coming up next, we have the number four seed, the homecoming queen's got a gun. Look out! Facing off the number 13 seed, Kooky Kooky. What have you got? Oh, that's kind of tough. That kooky kooky is a, a good old one, but I, I, I'll, I'll go with the uh, the random shooter. Uh, again, uh, this is going to be an upset, I believe, because kooky kooky has the greatest instrumental backing track of all time, as far as I'm concerned, as <laughs> a novelty song. So kooky kooky is for me. And kooky kooky is a great song, but it's out. Homecoming Queen <laughs> got the gun, moves on. We're going with violence. That's right. And facing off, we have the number five seed. Does your chewing gum lose its flavor? Facing off against the 12 seed, the humans are dead. Oh, wow. It's a tough one. It's very tough because I love them both. But I'm going to go with the humans are dead myself. Oh, it's an upset. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. <laughs> yeah, I love their binary solo. Okay, and the humans are dead moves on. Ah. All right, in the bottom half of the Mr. Natural bracket, we have the number two seed, Dead Puppies, 
Facing off against the 15 seed, the dinghy song. This is a tough one. What have you got? <laughs> well, I, I, there again, I'm going to go with death instead of uh, dirtiness. So we're going to go with dead puppies as far as I'm concerned. And uh, is the dinghy song the dingling song? No, it's she's got the cutest little dinghy in the Navy. Navy. And we're talking about penises. <laughs> okay, but... Uh, it's a good one. I have... Uh, reservations against penises so dead puppies <laughs> dead puppies moves on how about the number seven seed 99 dead baboons facing oh. off the 10 seed elvis is everywhere who moves on well of course i love them both they're like children but i'm still picking the baboons i have an anthropology degree and it's only good for one thing that i can pick baboons <laughs> <laughs> baboons moves on yes uh, here's another tough one the third seed kinko the kid loving clown uh, fi- facing off the number 14 seed, We Love Barney Fife. Uh, Who wins? Well, it's got to be Kinko. <laughs> I'm going with the pedophile clown over Barney Fife any day. I always thought that What's song was made up. And uh, then finally, with the birth of YouTube, I was able to hear it. <laughs> so <laughs> it is as oh, twisted as it sounds. I'd never heard it live oh, or on, no. the, on the thing because they had banned, you know, he stopped playing it. But, anyways, Kinko wins. So far, we've had uh, a lot of. Unity here. Kinko moves on. And finally, the the last bracket in our Mr. Natural. Number six, Hot Rod Lincoln facing off. Tenacious D, the number 11 seed tribute. What have uh, you got? I'm going to go with Hot Rod Lincoln. It's a classic. I would go with Hot Rod Lincoln, but that's not the greatest song in the world. <laughs> tribute is. And Hot Rod Lincoln is out. Tribute moves oh. on. Next bracket. Nudity on the run, we've got the number one seed, The Streak. Facing off the number 16 seed, Snoopy the Dog. Who moves on? I'm still going the classic, The Streak. Although Snoopy the Dog is pretty good. It's a good one. It's all right, but The Streak is The Streak. (laughs) There was a streak, so The Streak moves on. We got the number eight seed, The Witch Doctor. Facing off the number nine seed, Beep Beep. This is a tough one. Those eight, nine seeds are always tough. Can't believe the committee did this to us this early in the round. <laughs> I gotta go with Beep Beep. I, that's one oh. of the first novelty songs I ever heard, I think. And even though the Witch Doctor's great, even before the Chipmunks, there was the Witch Doctor, but Beep Beep, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I told the Witch Doctor that Beep Beep was a better song. <laughs> <laughs> beep Beep moves on. That's a toughie. We've got the number four seed, Transfusion. Uh, facing off the number 13 seed, My Boomerang Won't Come Back. What have you got? Ah, I'm going to go with vehicular violence over... Uh, Austri- Austri- Australian racism. Yes. <laughs> It'll win every time. Uh, I'm going to go with My Boomerang Won't Come Back. Ah, going in the racism ticket, eh? Had to do this, huh? And Transfusion has to move on. <laughs> number 5 seed, One Piece at a Time. Facing off the number 12 seed, Please don't bang on my piano. <laughs> uh, there again, I'm going for a classic over a dirty song. So I'm going to stick with the one piece at a time. It's the Man in Black. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any any yeah reservations with me going with uh, one piece at a time as well. One piece at a time moves on. Number seven seed, They're Coming to Take Me Away. Sorry, that's you can the number, stop right there. That's the number two seed. Uh, but wait, the number fifth seed, 15 seed, Seated a little low, I think. Tennessee Birdwalk. Uh, it's coming to take me away, although the Birdwalk's great. Birdwalk is great, but yeah, there's little discussion. Number in, two. In no san- doubt on that one. Sanity over birds anytime. Yes, yes. We got the number seven seed, My Dingling, facing off the number 10 seed, I'm Fat. 
<laughs> there again, my lifestyle. I'm going with my vet. I'm fat. Oh, it's my lifestyle, so I'm going with my dingling. <laughs> Uh, fat dingling. We're gonna go with uh, I'm fat. It's moving on. Yes. Oh. Number three smells Nobody like Nirvana. Number three smells like Nirvana. Facing off against the number fourteen seed. I love Rocky Road. Oh, it's an all Weird Al. <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, he's fighting against himself again. But I'm gonna go with I love Rocky Road because I do. Ah, <laughs> uh, and uh, who could forget the '90s? So I'm going with Smells Like Nirvana. And Smells Like Nirvana takes the win. And number six seed, Fish Ed, facing off. Eleven seed, Guitar Zan. Oh, look, two classics. But I'll take the crazy uh, distorted one, Guitar Zan. Oh, man, it's a good one. Yes, and they always have Fish Ed as number one or two on his damn list, and I hate it, so I'm going with Guitar Zan. <laughs> Guitar Zan moves We're on. We're it right out of our list. A lot of people lost some money on that Fish Ed one, I'll tell you that. Next up, we're in the Weird Al brackets. The number one seed, Eat It, facing off against the number 16 seed, Vanna Pick Me a Letter. Oh, I'm going to go with Vanna Pick Me a Letter. Uh, wow, that would be the greatest upset of all time. 16 has never beat a one. Never. I have to go with Eat It. And unfortunately, James, Eat It moves on, so we have to go with Eat It. Ah, psyched you out there. Number one never beat 16, Frank, you should know that by now. The, we got the eight seed Freckle Song facing off on the number nine seed, the cockroach that ate Cincinnati. <laughs> Ooh, that's a eight, nine, eight, nine. I'm going with uh, she's got freckles on her butt, but I like her. And uh, the cockroach can deal with his own kind. <laughs> oh, the Freckle Song. I'm going to go with that too. I, I don't care for Cincinnati, so when anybody talks about eating it, I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> and, unfortunately, I'm going with the song that's been burnt in my head all week, The Cockroach That Ate Cincinnati. <laughs> my co-workers are getting a little tired of it, but... The number four seed, another one rides the bus, facing off on the number 13 seed, Little Red Riding Hood. Who do you got? Oh, another one rides the bus, yes. Yep. Oh, man. I think it was uh, Weird Al's first one, and he did it live on the Dr. Demento show. Yep. I thought Kinda it was put him My on. Bologna. No? It's uh, it's another one rides the bus. Oh, it might be My Bologna. Ah, uh, there Could goes be. my... <laughs> Don't listen to Frank Frank's ever again. drinking again. <laughs> I'm going to go with Little Red Riding Hood. And Little Red Riding Hood shoots up a half-court shot. Three-pointer sinks it, but they're still down by 10. So another one rides the bus, moves on. Yes. And the number five seed, Dead Skunks, facing off on the number 12 seed, Rover. Who do you got? Oh, we got two dead animals. I don't know which one to pick. I'm going to go with my dead dog, Rover. Sounds I'm like going to have to go with uh, Rover as well, because I actually saw a dead skunk. Right by our work, and it smelled like skunk in my office all day. <laughs> so now you had another skunk. Rubber moves on. Sounds like a great dinner, though. <laughs> Here we go. The number two seed, everyone's favorite shaving cream, facing off on against the number 15 seed, Stranded in the Jungle. What do you got, uh, sports shaving fans? Shaving cream. Come on, shaving cream. Stranded in the Jungle. Uh, no, shaving cream, of course, man. <laughs> shaving cream moves on. No big uh, surprise there. The number seven seed, Curly Shuffle. Facing off the number 10 seed, the very powerful Existential Blues. Oh, Who do you got? It's got to be Existential Blues. I don't even think there's a there's a thing. No, existential, Curly Shuffle's wonderful, but not compared, to, blues. Not compared I, to the Blues. The computer may have gotten that seating wrong on that one. Existential Blues moves on. And we are reminding you in the Weird Al bracket, number 3 seed, White and Nerdy. Facing off 14 seed, Oi, It's Humid. 
Oh, White and Nerdy. That's one of the greatest songs I think Weird Al did. Underappreciated as far as I'm concerned. Just because he references the uh, Christmas special, right? Yes, the, in the video anyway, yes. The so I'm going to go with White and Nerdy. White and Nerdy is a good one, and it moves on. And finally, to end up the uh, Weird Al bracket, we have number six seed, Snoopy versus the Red, Bra- Red Baron. Snoopy versus the Red Baron versus the uh, number 11 seed, Haunted House. Who do you got? Oh, Snoopy versus the Red Baron. It's a good one. That's I believe Snoopy versus the Red Baron will take the day. Snoopy moves on in one way or another. Finally, we are in This Is Your This Is Your Grandmother's Brackets. We got the number one seed, Camp Granada, facing off the number 16 seed, Babysitting Boogie. Who moves on? <laughs> well, Camp Granada. Camp Granada. Camp Granada moves on. No big mystery there. We got the number eight seed Lunger We got the number eight seed Lumberjack song facing off. Number nine, the deadly ma- Ma, uh, ma, masochism Ma- tango the number oh. 19 masochism tango yeah i'm going Ooh, with the with the great american strong. mathematician with the masochism tango i have to go with it well and it's a crazy lumberjack song so good but masochism tango masochism over, uh, over tom the lear moves on masochism tango number four my Bologna, facing off the number 13 seed monster holiday oh i'm gonna go with monster holiday it's a favorite uh a country music song of mine from way back. Good old, uh, I think. Buck Owens, right? Yes. You know, it is a tough call. Four versus 13. But I'm going to go with Monster Holiday. Buck Owens moves on. Number five, Cocktails for Two facing off. The number 12 seed, Leader of the Laundromat. Oh, another tough one. But I'm going to go with the good old older one. And that's uh, Cocktails for Two. I like the Leader of the Laundromat. And since we're sitting right outside James' wash machine, we're going to go with Leader of the Laundry oh, that moves on. Spike Jones is throwing the trash. <laughs> and the fo- the bottom half of the this is this is your grandmother's bracket, we've got another Tom Lear, number two, Vatican Rag, facing off the 15 seed, 88 lines, about 44 Simpsons. <laughs> Very good, but I'm taking Tom Lear again. There's the no, Vatican there's, Rag. There's... No contest here. Vatican genuflect, Rag. genuflect, genuflect. Well, we we, we do, make fun of the Simpsons or the Catholic Church. We do have <laughs> the Catholic Church. We do have to play the games, but that one wasn't much of a matchup. And sports fans, we got the number seven seed. Shut up, your face, facing off the number ten seed, Eleanor Rigsby. Oh, oh, Doodles Weaver. Oh shoot, that's a tough one. Two people with uh, making fun of somebody's speech. Nobody said this would be easy, Frank. I'm gonna go with Doodles Weaver. And his uh, stuttering this. I just like his name, so I'm going with that too. <laughs> All right. Ah, Spike Jones sneaks in, even if it's just one of his band members. Very good. Uh, okay, so the number three seed, Poisoning Pigeons in the Park, another Tom Lear, uh, versus a 14 seed. This is a toughie. Party in the CIA. Weird Al, oh. who do you got? You know, I should be doing the Poisoning of the Pigeons yes, right. in the Park, yes. but Party in the CIA is such a nice song, I'm picking it. No way. Poisoning Pigeons in the Park, by far better. And I'm going to have to go with Poisoning Pigeons in the Park. Tom Lear moves on. It was uh, not an easy choice, you though. You saved me from myself. <laughs> Number six, Convoy versus the 11th seed, Rock Me, Jerry Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Both great ones, but I'm going with Convoy. Oh, man. Rock Me Jerry Lewis just sounds great. 
As much as I love Convoy, I'm going to have to vote for that one to move oh, forward. So Convoy. Convoy got shoved to the side. No, Convoy wins. I voted oh, for Convoy. Oh, I misunderstand, <laughs> as usual. And that concludes the 64. So we're down to our 32. We'll be right back to see who moves on. the strange tales in the annals of the incredible, stories of curses are perhaps the most difficult to accept. Yet, there are on record many such accounts too well documented to ignore. Consider, for example, this eerie case of the skull of Bettiscombe. In the district of Dorsetshire stands an old home called Bettiscombe Manor. And there, you would find a box that contains the skull of a man. You would learn then that it has been more than 200 years since anyone has lifted the skull from its place in the metal box. It is the skull of Azariah, Pinney's slave, and the slave's spirit is not at rest, nor will it ever be until his bones are returned to the land of his birth. Inquiring further, you would learn that Azariah Pinney joined in the Duke of Monmouth's rebellion in the year 1685. Azariah himself had been deported to the West Indies. When at last he returned to England, he brought with him the slave. But the damp air of the British Isles was not kind to the black man, and in time, he grew ill. I want to go back to my home, master. It's too late for that, man. You're dying. But my spirit will not rest, master. Not until I lie in my native earth. And so the slave died, and he was buried at Bettiscombe. Who it was who brought his skull back into the manor remains a mystery. But in time, it found its way into one of the downstairs rooms. Oh, how perfectly horrible. Whereupon, Azariah and his wife lifted the skull from its resting place and carried it toward the door. And then, throughout the whole house, from attic to cellar, a howling began. Loud and continuous and appalling. But Mistress Penny was a courageous woman, and she proceeded to remove the skull. That night, as Azariah Penny climbed the stairs toward his bedroom, a board gave way beneath his feet. Confound it. I've broken my leg. And the next morning, as he lay helpless in his bed, his wife reported to him... Azariah, that bolt of lightning last night... It struck the barn. We've lost more than half our stock. And a few days later, his wife brought more sorrowful news. I I don't ever think it's going to stop raining, Azariah. The crops are ruined. Wife, have that skull brought back into the house. We'll see if it stops raining then. And so the skull stood in Bettiscombe Manor once more. No further disorders were reported. It stood for 12 years. And then, once again, Mistress Penny decided to be rid of it. On the morning after the skull was taken out, Azariah Penny died. After that, it was brought in again, 
and placed in this box. And there, doubtless, it will continue to remain. For who, however skeptical he may be, however certain that all this is mere legend and superstition, will dare to pick it up? The facts which support the legend have been carefully recorded, and there is little reason to doubt their accuracy. All of them indicate that the skull of the slave is possessed of a strange and supernormal power. A power incredible but true. When Mum locked me in the coal shed after the incident with the chainsaw and the latex rabbit and the girl guides in the tent, she fed me pancakes under the door. She gave me a radio. I drool and smile and swivel that dial to the Dr. Demento show. I've stayed tuned in for 20 years, but now it's plain as plain. Oh, come on, Mum, and let me out. Compared to him, I'm sane. Well, bless my little pointed head, I'm howling at the moon. I'm naughty as a fruitcake when the doctor plays my tune. Dimensions and dementites from St. Lou to Sacramento. Know the weirdo with the beardo that the kids all call Demento. Listen each week and you might just freak and your senses will grow dim. You'll hit that crackpot jackpot and end up just like him. Calling all the funny farms, it's crazy time again. <laughs> Bring out the beer, the doctor's here to scramble up your brain, oh, 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 he's the guy, the reason why your funny bone was invented, if you're inclined to lose your mind, well, let's all get demented. G-E-M-E-N-G-O, Dr. He's the chap that Norman Bates would take home to his mum With songs about dead puppies and fish heads <laughs> Crazy words and crazy tunes, Spike Jones and a little bit of punk bear He don't give up about middle of the road unless there's a dead skunk there Flo and Eddie, Cheech and Chong and discs that won't go platinum Sung by folks that they keep locked up so other folks can't get at them Calling all the crazy houses, every padded cell I've run amok, I'm Donald Duck Hurrying as well My, my, my radio brings me that show that keeps me so contented I'm king of the Zulus, I've got a screw loose, let's all get demented Exactly A to Zachary, it's Barnes and Barnes the Goons. Steve Martin shaving foam and national lampoon. They're coming to take me away! Peak with a neck like a pencil. Monty Python, Loud and Wainwright, Gumby, Ogden, Edsel, Zappa and Elvira, and Weird Al Yankovic. It goes to show that Demento is one weird son of a... <coughs> calling all around the world, it's time to get delirious. Try Dr. D, and then you'll see... You cannot be serious! If you complain that he's insane, he'd be so complimented. Don't touch that dial, go hog wild, let's all get... Demented. In sunny California, where all them palm trees grow, there is a bright young doctor that all you people know. Well, he doesn't have no medicine and he doesn't have no pills, but the music that he plays for you, it'll clear up all your ills. A Demento. Dr. Demento, you people stay demented. 
We all decided here that since we're all doing March Madness about novelty songs, that we better do a little tribute to the physician who's done the most to promote and nurture that musical genre, and that's the great healer, Dr. Demento. <laughs> we, I think he's part of all of our childhood here. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. When I think of people talk about the soundtrack of their youth, that's Dr. Demento, <laughs> hands down. Uh, I, was, oh, I, I, wasn't quite, I wasn't quite the transistor you know, age, we had like tape decks and everything, so I would like record tape decks and Greg and I would listen to it. I'd stay up and, and I'd record the thing on, 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 was it, on cassette. When you guys listened to it, was it already the syndicated version? Was it two hours? Or was it uh, the four hour show? Because it started out when I first, the first memory I have, and I don't even know, it's not the first time we listened to it, but it was with Mr. Gregor McGregie's dad, Peter. Hmm. And all of us we were in one room. Jeff was there, my brother Daniel and me, and we're listening. And it was it was New Year's Eve, and they, they had the Nifty 50 back then. It was the four-hour show back in the 70s. And we worked through to all the different songs. We're all laying there in the dark, and we're all just laughing our ass off and crying and wondering, what's going to be number one? And all these great songs, Shaving Cream was on it, all these new songs we never heard. The Vatican Rag was on it. It was like, that's heresy. It's so funny. And then... We get to number one, and it's the theme song to Laurel and Hardy. We're like, what the? But we didn't care. And um, that was the four-hour uh, show on KMET, as he would say. That was the begin, because that's how it began. Well, sort of. On KMET, but by the time you listened to it, what was it? I think it was a two-hour show. I think show. it was a two-hour show. And... Uh, it, it was on Saturdays, on, I think. Yeah, can't even remember what station. Well, by that time, oh, it yeah. was he, he, at his height. He was over a hundred stations. Uh, I think a hundred twenty or something. That was like in nineteen eighty two. Yeah, but I just have to fool around with the dial because yeah. I didn't even know if I got the same station every time. Well, we just... had my mom's old nineteen thirties Bakelite radio that she oh. gave us, which still worked, and we would listen to it. And and your dad would turn it on. And I guess that's why we could hear it, because normally it was from 6 till 10, basically. And I think that was the time. And the only time we got to hear it at first was like New Year's Eve or 
but you know we'd listen what we can first couple hours first hour and uh it was a revelation <laughs> this is before yes. we had the funky favorite goofy greats records and uh it was it was a new for everybody because a lot of those novelty songs especially the really old ones which he had in his big 78 collections um no nobody had heard for a long time some of the 50s stuff they'd heard and and uh and nobody was doing the novelty stuff just for his radio show, of course, because it didn't exist. But once he started, he got all these people that all they want to do is he get on the documentary show. And, yeah. yeah. Um, or, or stopped a lot of careers. <laughs> Stop people from doing yeah. legitimate work and going on to the madness of novelty yes. songs. His real name was Barrett Eugene Henson. And he was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a long way from L.A. He, they said... In an interview with him, he started collecting records when he was 12. He found out at the a thrift store down the street, the flea market thing, he could get them for a nickel. And so he'd <laughs> save up his money and get these 78s. Oh, and man. he now he's got one of the world's largest record collections in the world. Yeah. Um, and that's he, he started uh, recording himself, and he was a DJ. The first time he was ever a DJ was at Sock Hops for his high school. And one time he... He watched the, um, ah, when Elvis came on, who did he come on? Ed Sullivan. Yeah, Ed Sullivan show. He recorded it off the TV, and then he brought it to the sock cop and played it. A lot of people hadn't even seen it, because they don't all have TVs, and suddenly Elvis is playing, you know, <laughs> like before it's getting on the radio, even. And um, at age 19, he went to Reed College, clear out in Oregon, which is kind of the hippie college. And he had a weekly blues hour show even then. So he was doing radio right from the beginning. He became the manager of that. And he graduated with a classical music degree back then. Oh, man. Then he goes over to uh, UCLA and he gets, uh, what is it? He got a degree, well, a master's degree, a master's degree in folklore and ethnomusicology. <laughs> hey, let me just say one thing. I get a lot of alumni literature on famous people that graduated from UCLA and they never say Dr. Menno. <laughs> I'm writing them. <laughs> they don't talk about master programs, maybe? I don't know. No, but I mean, they, they say all the you know people that are famous are like, oh, look, this person and whatever. It's always sports figures. It's very and sad. Like, you know, whoever, like the guys that won the Nobel Prize. But Dr. Mento, to me, is as good as any of those. Well, better maybe. I'm going to tell them, hey, if you put I that down, I think you get an extra like, plug nickel from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, they uh, he at that time, the first time he did like a regular... L.A. radio station was at KPFK, the Lefty Channel, <laughs> up there. And he started at a blues. It was a very specific pre-World War II blues show that he had oh, cool. once a week. And I well, wish that was still on. I think after he was doing that or at the same time, he lived in Topanga Canyon in this big house on the hill with the rock band Spirit. He was like a roadie with them. And he also went on to be a roadie with Canned Heat. That's <laughs> so, How old was he at that time? Oh, my gosh. What was he? Well, he wasn't... He was in his 20s. I don't know exactly oh, man. when he was doing... And he, at the same time, he got a job at Specialty Records, and he was compiling music. And later on, he worked for Warner Brothers. And some of these guys, he'd be compiling it from his own records. Like, oh, well, here, let's do 50s. Well, I got them right here. And then they didn't even know. So that was part of the job. He he also wrote for Rolling Stone and the thing called the Little Sandy Review. <laughs> 
Wait, is this almost famous? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, I mean, he's done major works on, on uh, all types of music, especially R&B and, uh, and jazz and that. And uh, he also, he was not just compiling the reissued albums, he was also doing new recordings from some of the old guys and new guys and making these albums. So he and then about this time he's still at the specialty records. He got on KPPC that you know the the one out of Pasadena the radio station. And he's just doing it like an oldies a rarity show and it's probably all his records still. And he would throw in all kinds of wacky stuff once in a while. And uh Pretty soon he got more wacky stuff, you know, that he had the normal oldies. And in 1970, this was, and he was about 29. Um, and this other disc jockey, his name is Steve Clean, the obscene Steve Clean, oh. as he was known, uh, came up on him and, and he was playing Transfusion by Nervous Novus. Nervous Norvus. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's one of the ones that we had in our, our March Madness. And uh, the guy says, you got to be demented to play this. And so the name kind of stuck with him. He must have embraced it because the next year he had the first Dr. Demento show on KPBC. And I don't know what the change was, but eventually, within a year, he moved on to KMET. That was, that's the first rock station that was ever in L.A. And that was years before. And then he started uh, doing the Dr. Demento show in 1972. I thought... He was older than that because the first time I heard him, it had to be around 72 when we first heard the radio thing. So it was right away. And he I think always kind of sounded like an old man. He did. Yeah. He, 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 and he, he sort of looked like an old man when you see him. He had his beard and everything. And he had gray his hair. Voice well, you know, changed. by the time you guys saw him, he did have gray hair. So I guess he was an old man. Yeah, but I, he would I, only be 40. Yes, well, that's old enough. <laughs> Not looking at my hair because it's completely gray. <laughs> Mine's completely white, so... If he was old man then, we're old men now. So. <laughs> yeah. He was a young I'm not buck. Willing, I'm not willing to admit that. <laughs> that was the four-hour format. That's when I got it. Every They would do the top ten. And at the beginning of the show, they'd just play random stuff. Then they That would weren't have, in the top ten. Or yeah. just There was tons of stuff, especially the four-hour show. Then they would have a theme and talk about, oh, it's school or it's uh, mm. racing cars and play all those songs. And then at that time, it was the top ten. And at the end of the year, it would be the Nifty 50. The thing is, the top 50 and, and top 10 and all that, they, they were kind of monotonous because they would always be the same. There would new things come. But with the rest of the show, had all kinds of crazy music. And sometimes you'd only hear it once or a lot of real old stuff. A lot of people just sending in tapes to him. The top 10 was like kind of viewer driven, wasn't it? Yeah, or? all that. Even the Nifty 50, that was the... Uh, uh, and, when he, and when he got to syndicate, it was just the funny five. <laughs> uh -oh. And the funny 25 at the yeah. end of the year. So uh, he was there, oh, I think for 14 years he was at that station. And eventually uh, he got the Pico and Sepulveda song to be uh, his, his lead-in. Uh which we played right now. Yeah, which we played at the beginning of our, of this uh, little thing we're doing right here. And then he got syndicated. 
And the first syndications were him just making tapes and sending them places. Like the first one, I think, was Seattle. And they just taped the radio thing and mail him a reel, oh, a reel. And he he did it through several companies and and almost himself. And then in 78, it was Westwood One, and that was the big time. So And those shows were two-hour shows. And they just had the Funny Five, I think, basically, at, at, at the end of those. And those were funny because uh, in the four-hour live shows, he'd just do whatever he wanted. And on the syndicated shows, he'd have to go, oh, very interesting how racist they were back then or whatever. He had to make some some reason why they're playing all these dirty, racist, crazy songs on the radio and make it some sort of scholastic uh, thing you were doing. But uh, it it was a great thing because as crazy as they were, they really were kind of... Very lightweight. There was nothing too disturbing. Of course, Kinko. for back then, you know, that was my own uh, notion of what was disturbing because they did have pedophile clowns and uh, all sorts of innuendo. But really... Uh, it's a nice commentary on how much society has crumbled. <laughs> yes, or gotten better, actually. And his first syndicated show was July 7th, 1974. That one, at that time... Uh, this is before the Westwood One. It was only an hour. And then it went on to the, the two-hour format. He used to have a lot of great interviews back then. Uh, he interviewed Frank Zappa, Doodled Weaver, Mel Blanc, uh, all different kinds of people in the early days. And in the 75, which is pretty early, he got his closing song, which we'll be closing with, and that's Cheerio, Cherry Lips. <laughs> and from then on, that was always, it always began with Pico and Zapolvita, always end with Cheerio and Cherry, uh, Cherry Lips. He was the biggest, I think, between 1982 and 1987. That's when he had the most syndication. He had people at Westwood One pushing him you know, uh, promoting him and they would go do live shows everywhere and they would go do advertisements and and so many of the of the Weird Al novelty stuff was coming out and it really made him a household name back The Perfect then. Storm. Yeah, which he... Uh, earlier and later, pe there's people that don't even know him, so... And do you guys remember his sidekicks or did they have any sidekicks by the time you... I don't recall any. Yeah, you I, must I have heard either. Whimsical Will because he would do... And I'm not sure if they had it when you heard it either because that might have been later. They had the, the, the Mento News. That would be part of the syndicated show. That sounds um, vaguely familiar. Yeah. His first one, and I never heard him, it was called Captain Heavy. And he was a guy <laughs> that was just on KPPC. And then when he came to KMET... Uh, there was a musician friend of Captain Heavy. <laughs> he, he became Captain Chaos. And he was dating this girl named Judy, so she became Jungle Judy. And they would answer the phones, but they would also do bits on the air, sing songs. Captain Chaos was uh, a short time, 74 to 76, and Jungle Judy was 74 to 75. And... Um, I, I remember another guy named Captain Clack, but I don't know because especially when he got to Westwood One, he would just have people that worked for them to come in and, oh, you're this character now. And and some of them didn't last very long. There was Private Parts, 75 to 76. Uh, Cardinal, Coenga, that was just 75. 75 was a seminal year because there was the Viceroy of Video. There was Mary Mary, Vicky Vesta. 
uh, Laughing Linda, Mad Maggie, and then Sulu came in that year, and she would send songs into him and and um, like Weird Al, and then he brought her on the show, and then he used to travel with her, and they would go do shows together, and but even she she was only on. Uh, I think just one year, 76 to 77, or two years. And later there was a guy named Damascus. Do you, you don't even remember Damascus? He was 78 to 79, so why should you know? <laughs> but he would do a bunch of songs. About that time, you'd there would be stuff on the Funny Five. Oh, it's Damascus. And, and he and Sulu would do different uh, bits together. There was uh, Laughing Lois. She was 78 to 79. But the one I think most people know because he lasted longer, because he's still on it, is Whimsical Will. And he started in 1980. He joined the KMET show. And uh, it was uh, one week after Weird Al did Another One Rides the Bus live on the show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I think that's the one where he met his drummer. He came in. There was somebody in the wings. And he... The guy said, "I'll uh, here. I'll pound it out on your accordion case." And so the first version is just him with the accordion, and the other guy in his case. And the, all the time they played it on the Doctor Demento show, it was always then. But later on, they recorded it on the album. And he went to play with Al later. You're saying he's still with him. Oh, wow. <laughs> he's the drummer. Oh man! And, and 1987, he started doing. That's why I don't know if you guys were listening to it in '87, but that's when he started doing on the syndicated show. Uh, the Demented News. Good old I think we would though. be in 87, 88. Do you remember... 89? There on Comedy time. Central, there was a... Uh, it was 1991, and it was the Demento anniversary. And um, there was Weird Weird Al and Bobby Boris Pickett and Tiny Tim were on it. Did yeah. you see that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, you did. Yep. And... Uh, in 1984, this I remember, it was, it was just one summer. It was a one-time a, a replacement for Saturday Night Live. And it was just a Dr. Demento show. It was hosted by him. It was called Welcome to the Fun Zone. Yeah. Did you did you see that? Uh-huh, that was great. And <laughs> I mean, it had weird guests like John Candy and Bozo and Andy, Howie Mandel. And they had skits with Victoria Jackson was on it. Weird Al was on it. John Carradine was on it. Yeah. Oh, man. And John Candy did a skit. It was the golf course that dripped blood. <laughs> Do you remember that? No. <laughs> that was really good. But that shows you how, you Wide know how a, how big he got. Yeah. yeah. And I used to love all his swag he would have. You could join the Demento Society. Yeah, now I do remember that. They'd send you stuff or whatever. Yes, I always wanted to. I never did. Yeah. I, he still has it. Um, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, well, badges and things, but decoder rings, and you could get tapes of music that was just for the people who belonged to the Demento Club. So it was pretty cool, and there was different stuff every year. So, as I said, with Westwood One, he was to 92. And the thing is, for some reason, his numbers started dropping, and that's why they dropped him. And then we reorganized to the way radio was done and the way syndication was done. So from 92 to 2000, he was syndicated by this thing called the Radio Broadcasting Company. And um, and he did that for a while. It's the same format, the two-hour thing. And in 2000, he did, I think it's 
Talinanian Productions, and that's just him. So he basically syndicated himself after that, and he kept going back and forth. Uh, he'd get on li on other um, live radio once in a while on different stations, but mostly it was a syndicated. And on January the 2nd, 2003, he got into uh, XM Satellite Radio, and they would have the best of that show between 2003 and 2005. And that's crazy. I didn't know it was that old. It's, XM. It started... I'm uh, surprised to hear that, too. Two... Is that how long Howard Stern has been oh, on no. XM? No, no. He was later. Oh, wait a minute. Mid-2000s, yeah. No, yep. that's, that's you know, what made it big or whatever. You know what? Made. It was about that same time. Um, hmm. But he was three times a week, and then it went to once a week. Well, all this time... Um, after 2000, his syndication was still falling and falling, and it was kind of sad. It it had to do more with how they structured syndication than than there was a lack of listeners. But anyway, um, starting in 2006, he started doing a pay per uh, pay per show online streaming. And that was just an experiment. He was still having his shows syndicated on terrestrial radio. Uh, but pretty soon, there was only six stations carrying the show uh, versus that over 100 at his peak. And I was listening to one of them. It was the Big Bopper, which I think is out of Ventura. So being the one six and it's Ventura is a very weird uh, show. But anyway, in 2010, he went to live streaming only. So what you do, it's a great thing now, too, because it's not just the show week to week, which you just pay to be on it, and then you get the show week to week, but you can also go in the archives. He doesn't have everything, but you go back, oh, what was uh, 1975, uh, the April whatever show, and you can listen to it with oh, the wow. commercials in it still. <laughs> oh, man. And, and you can hear a lot of the top 50 and then the syndicated shows. It's all over the place because the rights are are structured differently. So some things he has, some things he doesn't. But I'm glad that they still have the good doctor out there and for new people and for old people to enjoy. He really, there's so many different people, especially Weird Al, but all sorts of other people. Um, the good old um, guys who did Fish Heads was James Hates, but that that is uh, Barnes and Barnes. They... They were promoted by him. And that, by the way, uh, one of them is Billy Mummy <laughs> from Lost in Space. He's one of the guys from that, from the Fish really? Heads thing. Yes. Oh, man. He went on to do a bunch of other thing, uh, funny. novelty songs. But all these different people grew up out of, weird, uh, out of the Dr. Demento show. And it really promoted novelty songs so that the 80s exploded with it. Um, so he introduced people to... The old stuff and created new stuff all through his show. And I'm glad you can still, you know, listen to it today. We hope that this brought you all some good memories if you're familiar with The Good Doctor. And if you're not familiar, we hope it's introduced you to him. And so you can go and check him out. Well, just on YouTube for that matter. But also on his um, website. And uh, go back and see what it was like in 75. So we're going to end our segment now talking about the great doctor, Dr. Demento, ending the show the way he did with cheerio cherry lips. And we'll have him tell you about it in his own words. 
I found this record in a thrift shop in Minneapolis some years ago, and suddenly this record said to me, I'm your closing theme song, Doctor, so here it is. Cheerio, cherry lips, cheerio. Lips of rosy hue I must leave And you're blue Lips beguiling Just forget to sigh So long is not goodbye Cheerio, cherry lips, cheerio won't you give me a smile when I go? You shouldn't look so blue because everyone loves that smile of yours. Cheerio when the moon sails along. In your heart sing a bright little song. Someday I'll kiss away your troubles and woe Cheerio, cherry lips, cheerio through just like it came out in 1929 my closing theme song cheerio cherry lips cheerio by scrappy lambert singing under the name of gordon wallace hope you enjoyed that and the rest of the show the dr demento shows a production of the westwood one radio network norm pattis is our executive producer robert young our associate producer chris lindsley our engineer tune in again next week when we got an interview with john McEwen of the nitty gritty dirt band and lots of other great weird and demented stuff till then don't forget to stay
All right, sports fans, we're back. We've got the top 32 novelty songs, and we're going to jump right into it. We've got the number one Mr. Natural Bracket. We've got the number one seed Junk Food Junkies facing off against the number nine Rappin' Rodney. Who moves on? Oh, Junk Food Junkie. Yeah, it's not even a contest. Sorry, Rodney. Junk Food Junkies. We love you, but not as much as Junk Food. (laughs) Continues its juggernaut. And we've got the number four seed, The Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun. Facing off the 12 seed, the humans are dead. Oh. If you make the wrong choice, you may be dead. <laughs> Two people are dead. I, there's you know, a lot of guns. New, it's a new one, but I love the humans are dead. I'm going with that one. I love it because there's no unethical treatment of the elephants. Of course, there are no elephants <laughs> left. That's right. The humans are dead. <laughs> Do you think perhaps the Homecoming Queen is a prequel to the humans are dead? I don't know. <laughs> yes. It's Homecoming first... Queen moves on. Or the, head, the humans are dead moves on. And Homecoming Queen goes home. To face off next year. We've got the number two seed, Dead Puppies, facing off against the number seven seed, 99 Dead Balloons. Baboons. Baboons, that's what I said. Wow, that's tough. Two dead animals that I love really well. I'm going to go with the uh, 99 Dead Baboons because there's 99 Dead Baboons, uh, Perina Dead Baboon Chow in that song. I'm going to go again with... You know, having 99 problems, but baboons aren't one of them. So, <laughs> so 99. That, I was so, going to ask, what does that mean? <laughs> so that means dead puppies wins. <laughs> and the shot goes up, and it rolls around the rim, and it goes in, and who shot the shot? 99 dead baboons moves on. <laughs> and we got the number three seed, Kinko the Kid Loving Clown, fi- facing off against Tribute. Who comes out on top? Kinko always comes out on top. I'm not even going to comment. Tribute. And Tribute moves on. Sorry, Kingo. What? That can't be. That can't be. Well, next year you should get some uh, older (laughs) panelists, I guess. And we've got Nudity on the Run bracket. We've got the number one, The Streak, facing off against the number nine seed, Beep Beep. I guess a running person over a speeding car. I'm going with the streak. Uh, I'm going to have to go with the streak. And the streak moves on. We've got the number four seed, Transfusion, versus the number five seed, One Piece at a Time. Oh, tough. tough. Both car, car-themed car songs. Yes, but I'm going to go with Transfusion, since it's bloodier. Uh Slip a gallon to me, Alan. Transfusion. Transfusion moves on. One piece at a time. Going home. We've got the number two seed. They're coming to take me away. Versus the ten seed. I'm fat. Oh, they're coming to take me away. Insanity over obesity every time. Uh, I'm with Frank. And I'm fat is thrown out. They're coming to take me away. Moves on. And finally in the bottom half of the new D on the run brackets. We've got the three seed. Smells like Nirvana. Facing off against the 11 seed, Guitar Zan. Who moves on? Oh, I'm sticking with Guitar Zan. I'm going to have to go with my childhood. Smells like Nirvana. Oh, gentlemen, this is a tough one. But it looks like moving on to the Sweet 16 is going to have to be Guitar Zan moves on. Oh, that's amazing. Bitterness. I I did not expect that. If we would have done that five minutes later, it could have gone a different way. (laughs) And... Now we're in the Weird Al bracket. The number one seed, Eat It. Looking to go against the number nine seed, the cockroach that ate Cincinnati. Who moves on? Oh, both things eating things. I'm going to go with the cockroach in this uh, case. I'm going to go with Eat It. 
And I'm going to have to move with the cockroach that ain't Cincinnati. That was a tough one, but it's burnt my brain. Number four seed, another one rides the bus. Facing off against a 12 seed, Rover. Oh, another one rides the bus. Another one rides the bus. Another one rides the bus, moves to the Sweet 16 easily. Number two seed, Shaving Cream. Facing off against the number 10 seed, Existential Blues. Oh, this is terrible. That is bitter. Either one should be number one. Oh, I'm going to go with Existential Blues. That's crazy. I have to go with Shaving Cream. And Existential Blues is up ahead, up by one point. They call a timeout. But oh no, they're out of timeouts. Shaving Cream gets two free throws. They make them both and they win. They move uh, on. Okay. Shaving Cream goes to the Well, I'm not 16. disappointed. Either one is great. Bitter though on Existential Blues because it's great. It is a good one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll see them next year. Number three, White and Nerdy versus the number six seed, Snoopy versus the Red Baron. Oh, White, and, moves. Nerdy. White, White and, nerdy. and Nerdy. White and Nerdy moves to the Sweet 16. Snoopy's a little too big for hype. Too That's right. Hype. Final bracket. This is your grandmother's bracket. We've got the number one seed, Camp Granada, facing off the number nine seed, Masochism Tango. Oh, that is tough. Tom Lear against Al Sherman. I'm going to go, though, with uh, Camp Granada. I have to go with Camp Granada again. Oh, well. boy. Camp Granada moves on. See you next year, Tom Lear. But you got a couple others. Number 13 seed, Monster Holiday, facing off against 12 seed, Leader of the Laundromat. These are tougher than the movies, I think. <laughs> but I, I'm going to go, in this case, with Leader of the Laundromat. I'm going to have to go with Leader of the Laundromat as well. Monster Holiday, see you next year. The number two seed, Vatican Rag, facing off the number 10 seed, Eleanor Rigsby. <laughs> Doodles Weaver will have to say goodbye. I'm going with the Vatican Rag. Once again, making fun of Catholics. Very fun. Cat- Vatican Rag moves on. And another Tom Lear, number three seed, Poisoning Pigeons in the Park, versus the number six seed, The Convoy. Oh, I'm going with Poisoning Pigeons over the uh, Breaking Speed Lies. All right, I would love to have some drama here, but I have to go with Poisoning Pigeons in the Park as Convoy's well. out, Poisoning Pigeons. And that concludes our 32. We're down to 16. We're getting closer. Who will be number one? Stay tuned. From the North Slope at Prudhoe Bay in Arctic, Alaska, they roll. Across the frozen tundra, over snow-covered mountains and icy rivers, 800 miles south to Valdez, the big trucks returning for supplies for the great Trans-Alaska Pipeline, which will bring vitally needed oil to energy-hungry America. Man, am I looking forward to a nice hot bath and a big, juicy steak. You can say that again, K-4. Hey, gonna see you down at Joe's place, huh? Oh, there's a chick I'd like you to... <laughs> Thanks, pal. But I'm taking a rain check on that. Gotta get up early for tomorrow's run. Okay, catch you on the flip-flop. That K-4 sure is one hot shot. <laughs> yeah, but he's okay. Bad curb down the hill a ways. Better cool it, Mike. Right, hey, what the? What's the matter? The brakes, they're not working. Try the emergency. It's no use, it's gone. We'll never make it. Oh, God! <laughs> 
Back in Washington, a worried Oscar Goldman listens to Air Force General Maxwell Bond. Listen, Goldman, the new early warning system we're testing at Prudhoe keeps breaking down. I don't understand it. Our best scientists worked on that for over a year. Well, something's wrong, and I want to know what. So far, nobody's coming up with answers. I can assure you, General, that my man in the area... Hello? Goldman here. What? How'd it happen? All right. I'll get a new man up there fast. That was Alaska. My undercover man, Mike Colton, was killed in a truck accident. That makes the third man I've lost, and it's beginning to look like these aren't just accidents. Excuse me a minute, General. Ms. Wilson, get Steve Austin over here fast. Yes, Mr. Goldman. I gotta leave. Keep me posted, Goldman. One hour later. And that's the story, Steve. Looks to me like it might be sabotage. I want you to get up there to Valdez and sign on as a truck driver. But you know how extreme cold affects me, Oscar. No problem. Rudy worked up a little gadget he can attach to your bionics in 30 minutes that'll keep you functioning in the coldest weather. Anyway, it'll still be summer up there for a little while. It is one week later, on the waterfront at Valdez. Hey, you know that new guy that signed on a few days ago? Sanders? Yeah. He was asking a lot of questions about Prudo. Seemed pretty anxious to make the whole 800-mile run up there. Got a feeling he may be one of those... Yeah, me too. And I ain't taking any chances. We're too close to the payoff. I've arranged another little accident. Oh, fix the brakes? Nah, but when Sanders gets up about 100 miles from Prudo, he's going to make like a Boy Scout helping a little old lady cross the street. You handle this rig better than anyone I know, Sanders. And I know them all. It's nothing. Got a little practice in the service. Another few hours and we'll be at the Prudhoe base. And that's what I call... This is KY-17. KY-17. Calling anyone. Come in, anyone. Let me take that. This is TR-7. What's the problem? Man, am I glad to hear you, TR-7. Rick slipped off the road. Driver injured. Where are you? About 100 miles south of Prudhoe, moving north. You're right on. Keep coming a couple of more miles and look for us on the right. Over and out. In the summer, this is... Pretty bad country to get stuck in. Yeah, I knew a guy that froze to death out here in an hour. Hey, I think I see something. Hey, that's it. About a quarter of a mile up. But as Steve pulls over toward the disabled truck, his keen eye catches sight of someone holding a gun on the other side of an apparently unconscious driver slumped over the wheel. Listen, Bill, don't get out. But, but what? Somebody with a gun. It's a trap. Hijacking? Out here? Just do what I say and stay down. Keep the motor running. Steve gets out on the driver's side, but instead of walking out toward the disabled truck, pushes his hat out on the end of a stick. Instantly, the gunman fires. Got him. Sign her up. Let's get out of here. Sanders, you okay? Yeah, but I'd like to catch those guys. Let's go. We ain't never gonna catch them. That's one of those souped-up jobs. I guess you're right. I don't get it. What were they after? Why us? Beats me. Maybe we'll get a line on them at Prudhoe. Exactly what I wanted to do all along. They may lead me to where the action really is. It is later that night in the plush offices of F. Arnold Chalmers, president of Teletronics Incorporated, a giant electronics manufacturing complex in a secluded area north of Seattle. What's the word from our man in Valdez? He's all set, just waiting for word from you. Yeah, then it's time to move. I got a $15 million investment to protect, and I'm not going to let that Computronics outfit get the final contract. Uh, the word is that General Bond is getting pretty fed up with them. Well, this time we're going to make it look like their system is so dangerous he'll cancel them and sign up with us. Wouldn't Computronics be surprised to know that Ramsey, the man in charge of their whole operation, is really working for us? Call Valdez and tell our operative to give the okay for the final move at Prudhoe. What exactly are you planning? 
The only thing left, the final convincer. There's going to be another accident, only this time the whole early warning system is going to blow up. Meanwhile, Steve had arrived at the Pruto base, found the truck used in the assassination attempt, and got a lead on the would-be killers. It is the next morning, and he is reporting to Oscar. And I think I'm onto something, Oscar. The guys who tried to gun me down on the road just finished meeting with the guy they called Ramsey. During the conversation, one of them made a phone call, came back and said something to Ramsey, and then he took off. Who's Ramsey? I don't know, but he headed for the test installation. I'm going to follow him as soon as I hang up. I'll run a computer check on him in the meantime. Good luck. Borrowing a jeep, Steve takes the road to the test base, located a few miles out. But just as he leaves... Blakey, did you see that guy in the jeep? It's Sanders. Then we didn't get him. No, and now I'm sure he's a fed, and he's on to us. We gotta stop him before he's on to Ramsey and blows the whole thing. We'll take the other jeep. Meanwhile, Ramsey reaches the base, enters the small building housing the complex electronic and laser components which constitute the heart of the new early warning system. While his two assistants are busy monitoring incoming data, he moves quickly to the master control console and starts changing the dial settings. Hey, Ramsey, what are you doing? Look at the readings. You'll blow the place up. Hey, what's with the gun? I hate to do this, but I have no choice. I've got to blow this place up, and you two will have to go with it. I don't understand. At least you might tell us why. It's a long story, but it means one million dollars to me and... Nothing but me, brother. As Steve bursts in, Ramsey whirls and fires. But his aim is erratic and the shot goes wild. You got here just in time. Who are you, mister? Never mind. Just get those dials. Don't touch those dials. Suddenly, the two gunmen appear at the door. Uh, don't move, Sanders, or whatever your name is. Now, up against the wall. All of you. Blinky, help Ramsey up. Oh, what hit me? Never mind. Did you fix it so the place blows? Yeah, it'll go any minute now. Let's get out of here. Okay. Ta-ta, Mr. Government Man. The gunman glances toward the door, but in the fraction of a second he takes his eye off Steve, the bionic man explodes into action. The gunmen, both tough street fighters, fight back ferociously, but the super speed and the super strength of bionic power are too much for them, and it's over. Quick, the dials. One of the technicians races to the control panel and turns the dials just in time to prevent a disastrous explosion. Phew, one more second and we'd have been goners. Well, with Ramsey out of the picture, there shouldn't be any more of those accidents on this project. Say, can I reach Washington on that phone? Sure. Special hookup. And that wraps it up, Oscar. Good work, Steve. Uh, Steve? Yeah? I hope you won't mind, pal, but I've got another assignment for you. Oh, but Oscar, I... I want you to go down to Hawaii. Hawaii? And keep Jamie Summers company for a week. She's on vacation and she's bored. What do you say, pal? You know I never turned down an assignment, no matter how tough, pal. So we're down to the final 16. Let's have a little review. Let's look back on their season so far. 
99 dead baboons sitting in my living room. Not too functional, it seems, but quite a conversation piece. This one's Jake, that one's Dinah. There's Big Ned in my recliner. No, it's not a lazy boy. Can't you see it's a dead baboon? Riding in a bus down the boulevard and the pace was pretty packed. Yeah. Couldn't find a seat so I had to stand with a pervert in the back. It was smelling like a locker room. There was junk all over the floor. We're already packed in like sardines but we're stopping to pick up more. Look out! Another one rides the bus. Uh. Another one rides the bus. Uh. And another comes on and another comes on. Saturday night, they need some excitement. Jane gets right and the monkey gets tight, and their voices unite in the pale moonlight, and it sounds all right. Yeah, it's dynamite. It's out of sight. Let's hear it right now. Hello, Fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. I went hiking. You know I love that organic cooking. I always ask for more. And they call me Mr. Natural. On down to the health food store. I only eat it. Is he really going out with her? I don't know. Look, here he comes now. Let's ask him. Hey, Murray, is it true Betty's wearing your ring? Mm-hmm. Who's that banging on the piano? I don't know. You going out with her tonight? You bet your fur. By the way, where'd you meet her? I met her one day at the laundromat. You turned around and smiled at me. You get the picture? Yes, we see. And that's when I fell in love with the leader of the laundromat. spring afternoon when we're poisoning pigeons in the park every Sunday you'll see my sweetheart and me as we poison the pigeons in the park when they see us coming the birdies all try and hide but they still go for peanuts when coated with cyanide the sun's shining bright everything seems all right when we're poisoning pigeons in the park la, 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 la. Be nice and clean Shave every day And you'll always look keen Yeah, I did I was standing over by the tomatoes And here he come Running through the pole beans Through the fruits and vegetables Naked as a jaybird And I hollered over to Ethel I said, don't look, Ethel And it's too late She'd already been in the scenes. Here he comes Boogie-dee, boogie-dee There he goes Boogie-dee, boogie-dee well, yes, they call him the street. Look at that, look at that. Fastest thing on two feet. 
But the worst one it seemed Haunting all of my dreams Was the cockroach that ate Cincinnati There are no more humans Finally, robotic beings rule the world The humans are dead The humans are dead We used poisonous gases And we poisoned our asses The humans are dead He's right, they are dead The humans are dead Look at that one, it's dead to be dead I'll just confirm that they're dead So that we can have fun Affirmative, I poked one, it was dead what did it lead to? Robot depression. Robots ruled by people. They had so much aggression that we just had to kill them and to shut their systems down. Tooling down the highway doing 79. I'm a twin pipe popper and I'm feeling fine. Hey man, dig that. Was that a red stop sign? <laughs> Transfusion, I'm just a solid mess of contusions. Never, never, never gonna speed again. Slip the blood to me, bud. I jump in my Play the best song in the world, or I'll eat your soul. Well, me and Kyle, we looked at each other, and we each said, Okay. Farm where life is beautiful all the time, and I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats, and they're coming to take me away. All right, you can feel the electricity in the room. We're at the Sweet 16. Here we go, baby. Starting off in the Mr. Natural Braggot, the number one seed junk food junkies facing off on the Cinderella story so far. Number 12, the humans are dead. Who moves forward? This is where it's dead. It's got to be junk food junkies. Sorry. I- can't go with anything else but Junk Food Junkies. And the Junk Food Junkies moves on, taking out Cinderella. And the bottom half of Mr. Natural, we've got the 7 seed, 99 Dead Baboons, facing the 11 seed, another Cinderella tribute. Oh, I'm going to have to go with 99 Dead Baboons. Man, I'm going to have to go with Tribute. And Tribute moves on to the 8. Oh, what the heck? <laughs> And moving up, moving on to the nudity on the run bracket, we've got the streak, number one seed facing off number four, transfusion. Oh, that's tough. Uh, I'm going to go with transfusion. 
I'm going to go with Transfusion as well. And Transfusion pulls off the upset, moves on. The namesake of the bracket had just gone down. (laughs) That's the fun of March Madness. Oh, the humanity. (laughs) And on the bottom half of the new deal on the run, we have the number two, They're Coming to Take Me Away, facing off on the number 11, Guitarzan. Oh, They're Coming to Take Me Away. They're Coming to Take Me Away. Guitarzan is out. They're Coming to Take Away, moves to the, the Elite Eights. Moving right along to the Weird Al Brackets. We've got the number nine, the cockroach that ain't Cincinnati. Can anyone beat the cockroach? This one might. The number four seed, another one rides the bus. Oh, another one rides the bus. I'm going to go with the cockroach. Ah. And I hate to say it, but the cockroach moves on to the Elite Eight. That is a surprise. And we've got a tough one. This may be our hardest all day. In the bottom half of the Weird Al bracket, number two, shaving cream. Facing off on the always tough number three, white and nerdy. Who moves oh, on? I, you know, that's not as hard as you'd think. I think shaving cream. I think shaving cream as well. Oh, and white and nerdy is out. Shaving cream moves on. That busts my pool right there. And the final bracket. This is this is your grandmother's bracket. We got the number one, Camp Granada, facing off against twelve seed leader of the laundromat. Ah, uh, Camp Granada. Camp Granada. All right, the one seed still alive. And the final pick, our final spot for the Elite Eight, we have number two, Vatican Rag, versus the number three, Poisoning Pigeons in the Park. Oh, Tom Lear. Lear against Lear. Ah, it's like the tragedy of Lear. I'm going to have to go with Vatican Rag. That was one of the first Lear songs I ever heard way back when in the Funny 55. It's probably Or the Nifty 50, whatever it was. Probably one of my favorite songs uh, novelty song, so I'm going to have to go with with the Vatican rag as well. And I, and I have to say right now, it doesn't really make fun of Catholics. It makes fun of Vatican I. No, I know. <laughs> but I'm Catholic, so I like to make fun of myself. And as uh, someone who worships pigeons, I like the pigeon in the park. But uh, we'll move on. The Vatican rag moves on to the Elite Eight. So there you are. We have our eight songs and all vying for a spot in the final four. And that will be coming up in a moment. Spring, you know. After all, it's March. March, the month of awakening. March, the month of renaissance. March, the first of spring. Hey, I'm back. March. <laughs> well, don't worry, I'm going. I just came to say goodbye. Uh, I'm a very sick man. Oh, you, you look pretty healthy to me. Well, my trouble don't show, Mr. Kaufman. You see, the doctor says it's really a condition of the mind. Oh, well, then definitely don't worry. <laughs> You mean you think there's really no condition? There's no mind. Aw, <laughs> oh, Ken, don't be so mean to the little man. Yuki needs help. Well, there's nothing wrong with Yuki but melancholia. All he needs is a good laugh. Well, I've snapped many people out of a mental despond with a good joke, like, uh, oh, well, let me see. Oh, here's a good one. Oh, this will kill you. This will really fix you right up. Look, Yuki, did you ever hear about the little dog who had his tail cut off to improve his carriage but it ruined his wagon? <laughs> Yuki, what's the name of your doctor? <laughs> Let me talk to Yuki. What he needs is to see an example of happiness like me. I've led a full life. You mean overflowing, don't you? <laughs> I have a sure cure for the blues. Well, what is it, Mr. Trotter? Right after every meal, eat a full meal. Here, here. <laughs> Guaranteed to make you as happy as I am. That happy I don't want to be. <laughs> Tell me, Yuki, did anything like this ever happen to you before? Well, once, for three whole days, I wasn't myself. Probably the happiest days of your life. Perhaps, Yuki, if we went dancing and the lights were low and the music sweet, you'd feel better. 
Think so? Then perhaps we might go out in the balcony under the moon and sit out for a dance or two. No, I don't think that would do me any good. I got news for you, Yuki. Wow. You're not sick. You're dead. <laughs> Next to Cali Road, stop crying. I'll come back to you. Some sunny day Every night you'll know That I'll be pining Every hour a year While I'm away Dry those big brown eyes And Vanish all those tears and please don't sigh. Kiss me once again and hold me. Mexicali Road. Goodbye. Alright, sports fans, we're here at the Elite Eight. And just so you, all of our listeners are familiar with all the songs, we're going to play each song in their entirety. So take a listen. You know I love that organic cooking. I always ask for more. And they call me Mr. Natural. I'm down to the health food store. I only eat good sea salt. White sugar don't touch my lips. And my friends is always begging me to take them on macrobiotic trips. Yes, they are. All but night, I take out my strong box that I keep under lock and key. And I take it off to my closet where nobody else can see. I open that door so slowly, take a peek up north and south. Then I pull out a hostess Twinkie and I pop it in my mouth. In the daytime I'm Mr. Natural Just as healthy as I can be But at night I'm a junk food chunky Good Lord have pity on me Well at lunchtime you can always find me At the Whole Earth Vitamin Bar Just sucking on my plain white yogurt From my hand-thrown pottery jar And sipping a little hand-pressed cider With a carrot stick for dessert and wiping my face in a natural way on the sleeve of my peasant shirt. Oh, yeah. Ah, but when that clock strikes midnight and I'm all by myself, I work at combination on my secret hideaway shelf. And I pull out some Fritos corn chips, Dr. Pepper, and an old moon pie. Then I sit back in glorious expectation of a genuine junk food high. Then I take my 
daytime I'm Mr. Natural, just as healthy as I can be. Oh, but at night I'm a junk food junkie. Good Lord, have pity on me. All right. My friends down at the commune, they think I'm pretty neat. Oh, I don't know nothing about arts and crafts, but I give them all something to eat. I'm a friend to old Yule Gibbons, and I only eat homegrown spice. I got a John Keats autographed Grecian urn filled up with my brown rice. Yes, I do. Oh, folks, but lately I have been spotted with a Big Mac on my breath. Stumbling into a Colonel Sanders with a face as white as death. I'm afraid someday they'll find me just stretched out on my bed. With a handful of Pringles potato chips and a ding dong by my head. In the daytime, I'm Mr. Nancy, just as healthy as I can be. But at night, I'm a junk food junkie. Good Lord, have pity on me. song in the world. Tribute. Long time ago, me and my brother Kyle here, we was hitchhiking down a long and lonesome road. All of a sudden, there shined a shiny demon in the middle of the road. He said, play the best song in the world, or I'll eat your soul. Well, me and Kyle, we looked at each other, and we each said, okay. And we played the first thing that came to our heads, just so happened to be.
Stop sign. Fusion, transfusion. I'm just a solid mess of contusions. Never, never, never gonna speed again. Slip the blood to me, bud. I jump in my rod about a quarter to nine. I gotta make a date with that chick of mine. I cross the center line, man. You gotta make time. Transfusion, oh man, I got the cotton picking convolutions. I'm never, never, never gonna speed again. Shoot the juice to me, Bruce. My foot's on the throttle and it's made of lead. But I'm a fast riding daddy with a real cool head. I'm a gonna pass a truck on the hill ahead. Transfusion, transfusion. My red corpse suckles are in mass confusion. Never, never, never gonna speed again. Pour the crimson in me, Jimson. I took a little drink and I'm a feeling right. I can fly right over everything, everything in sight. There's a slow poking cat, I'm gonna pass him on the right. Transfusion, I'm a real gone pale face, and that's no illusion. I'm a never, never, never gonna speed again. Pass the claret to me, Barrett. A rolling down the mountain on a rainy day. Oh, when you see me coming, better start to pray. I'm a cutting up the road and I'm the boss all the way. Transfusion, oh doc, pardon me for this crazy intrusion. I'm never, never, never gonna speed again. Pump the fluid in me, Louis. I'm burning up the freeway early this morning. I'm a passing everybody. Oh, nothing but corn, man, out of my way. I don't drive with my horn. Transfusion, oh nurse, I'm gonna make a new resolution. I'm never, never, never gonna speed again. Put a gallon in the Allen. Oh, barnyard drivers are found in two classes. Line crowding hogs and speeding jackasses. So remember to slow down today. Hey, Daddy-O, uh, make that type O, huh? a boy. Remember when you ran away and I got on my knees and begged you not to leave because I'd go berserk? Well, you left me anyhow and then the days got worse and worse and now you see I've gone completely out of my mind. And 
They're coming to take me away, haha. They're coming to take me away, ho ho, hee hee, haha. To the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time. And I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats. And they're coming to take me away, haha. You thought it was a joke, and so you laughed. You laughed when I had said that losing you would make me flip my lid. Right? You know you laughed. I heard you laugh. You laughed, you laughed and laughed, and then you left. But now you know I'm utterly mad. And they're coming to take me away, haha. They're coming to take me away, ho ho, hee hee, haha. To the happy home with trees and flowers and chirping birds and basket weavers who sit and smile and twiddle their thumbs and toes, and they're coming to take me away, haha. I your food, I cleaned your house, and this is how you pay me back for all my kind, unselfish, loving deeds. Ha! Well, you just wait, they'll find you yet, and when they do, they'll put you in the ASPCA, you mangy mutt. And they're coming to take me away, ha ha, they're coming to take me away, ho ho, hee hee, ha ha, to the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time, and I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats, and they're coming to take me away, ha ha, to the happy home with trees and flowers and chirping birds and basket weavers who sit and smile and twiddle their thumbs and toes, and they're coming to I must offer to you a confession I like movies that give me a fright If the subject is horror I've got to see more Or I won't be contented all night You may call it my ghoulish obsession It's a subject on which I get chatty But the worst one it seems Haunting all of my dreams Was the cockroach that ate Cincinnati I've seen ghouls and hobgoblins and witches And some moth-eaten werewolves with fangs There were creatures that chattered And others that clattered And Japanese monsters with fangs Frankenstein gives me the shakes And Count Dracula's driving me batty But they're not on a par with the worst one by far The cockroach that ate Cincinnati Oh, he must have needed a seltzer It's amazing how much he got down Or lunch he'd just chew up a suburb or two And for dinner he ate the whole town Willard just sent me out laughing I thought Ben looked a little bit ratty Watch, watch, sorry about that But they're not half as bad as the worst scare I've had The cockroach that ate Cincinnati Oh, my heart nearly stopped, you will never be taught The cockroach that ate Cincinnati Olay! Olay? That's dumb <laughs> 
I have a sad story to tell you. It may hurt your feelings a bit. Last night when I walked into my bathroom, I stepped in a big pile of shaving cream. Be nice and clean. Shave every day and you'll always look king. I think I'll break off with my girlfriend. Her antics are queer, I'll admit. Each time I say, darling, I love you, she tells me that I'm full of shaving cream. Be nice and clean. Shave every day and you'll always look king. Our baby fell out of the window. You think that her head would be split. But good luck was with her that morning. She fell in a barrel of shaving cream. Be nice and clean. Shave every day and you'll always look king. An old lady died in a bathtub. She died from a terrible fit. In order to fulfill her wishes, she was buried in six feet of shaving cream. Be nice and clean. Shave every day and you'll always look king. When I was in France with the army, one day I looked into my kit. I thought I would find me a sandwich, but the darn thing was loaded with shaving cream. Be nice and clean, shave every day and you'll always look king. And now, folks, my story is ended. I think it is time I should quit. If any of you feel offended, stick your head in a barrel of shaving cream. Be nice and clean. Shave every day and you'll always look keen. Hello, Fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. I went hiking with Joe Spivey. He developed poison ivy. You remember Leonard Skinner. He got ptomaine poisoning last night after dinner. All the counselors hate the waiters And the lake has alligators And the head coach wants no sissies So he reads to us from something called Ulysses Now I don't want this should scare you But my bunkmate has malaria You remember Jeffrey Hardy 
They're about to organize a searching party. <laughs> take me home, oh Madafada, take me home. I hate Granada, don't leave me out in the forest where I might get eaten by a bear. Take me home, I promise I will not make noise or mess the house with other boys. Oh, please don't make me stay. I've been here one whole day. <laughs> Dearest father, darling mother, how's my precious little brother? Let me come home if you miss me. I would even let Aunt Bertha hug and kiss me. <laughs> Wait a minute. It stopped hailing. Guys are swimming. Guys are sailing. Playing baseball. Gee, that's better. Mata Fada, kindly disregard this letter. <laughs> Another big news story of the year concerned the ecumenical council in Rome known as Vatican II. <laughs> Among the things they did in an attempt to make the church more commercial <laughs> was to introduce the vernacular into portions of the mass to replace Latin and to widen somewhat the range of music permissible in the liturgy. But I feel that if they really want to sell the product in uh, <laughs> in this secular age, what they ought to do is to redo some of the liturgical music in popular song forms. I have a modest example here. <laughs> it's called The Vatican Rag. First you get down on your knees, fiddle with your rosaries, bow your head with great respect and genuflect, genuflect, genuflect. <laughs> Whatever steps you want, if you have cleared them with the pontiff, everybody say his own Kyrie eleison, doing the Vatican rag. Processional, step into that small confessional. They're the guy who's got religion. I'll tell you if your sin's original. If it is, try playing it safer. Drink the wine and chew the wafer. Two, four, six, eight. Time to transubstantiate. So get down upon your knees, fiddle with your rosaries, bow your head with great respect and genuflect, genuflect, genuflect. Make a cross on your abdomen. When in Rome, do like a Roman. Ave Maria. Gee, it's good to see you getting ecstatic and sort of dramatic and doing the Vatican ride. All right, sports fans, this is where it gets really exciting. This is where uh, people go home with a lot of money or they're looking for a new identity. In the first bracket, Mr. Natural, we have the number one seed, Junk Food Junkies, 
facing off against the number 11 tribute. Oh, Junk Food Junkie. Yeah. This is where uh, I have to give you tribute to Junk Food Junkies <laughs> and move along tribute and pick Junk Food Junkies. It's, junk, it's singular, sir. <laughs> it's singular. Junk Food Junkie. Mr. Natural Junk Food Junkie moves on to the I was final talking about four. Us. Oh, okay. <laughs> and who will, who will next punch their ticket to the final four? We've got... In the nudity on the run bracket, number four seed transfusion facing off against the number two seed. They're coming to take me away. Oh, criminy. I'm going to go with they're coming to take me away. Insanity over road rage. It's kind of crazy because my wife drives bad and is insane so i don't know which hey. one. <laughs> I hope she's not listening <laughs> she of course she's not listening he would never said that <laughs> <laughs> exactly right frank so i'm gonna go with they're coming to take me away <laughs> they're coming to take me away moves on gets their ticket punch to the final four in the weird al bracket the last survivors we have the number nine the cockroach that ain't cincinnati they're on fire Facing off against, but maybe maybe this is too tall in order for them. The number two shaving cream. Who moves on? Oh, shaving cream. Shaving cream. Shaving cream moves on. It gets his ticket punch to the final four. Hosted this year in Oxford. And finally, in the glamorous, this is your grandmother's bracket. We've got number one seed, Camp Granada. No one's being able to upset them yet. Against the number two seed, Vatican Rag. Uh, Camp Granada in this case. Yeah, when it has faces off both. I'm going to go with Vatican Rag. And I'm going to have to go with Vatican Rag. Vatican uh, Rag goes to the final four. It's a tough one. So that's it. Your final four have been set. Winner of Mr. Natural Bracket, Junk Food Junkie, will be facing off against the winner of the Nudity on the Run Bracket. They're coming to take me away. Out in the... Weird Al Bracket, the winner of that, Shaving Cream, will be facing off against This Is Your Grandmother's Bracket, The Vatican Rag. Who will be Best Novelty Song? We'll find out in a moment. Some Irish poetry now, in honor of St. Pat's Day, and all those smiling eyes. I will arise and go now, and go to Inishfree, and a small cabin built there, of clay and wattles made. Nine bean rows will I have there, a hive for the honeybee, and live alone in the bee-loud glade. And I shall have some peace there, for peace comes dropping slow, dropping from the veils of the morning to where the cricket sings. There, midnight's all a glimmer, and noon a purple glow, and evening full of the linnet's wings. I will arise and go now, for always, night and day, I hear lake water lapping with low sounds by the shore. While I stand on the roadway, or on the pavement's grey, I hear it, 
in the deep heart's core. Who is that old fellow over there? A young man coming into a cottage where there was a dance said, and the old blind man who was playing the fiddle turned round and said, I am Raftery the poet, full of hope and love, with eyes that have no light, with gentleness that has no misery. Going west upon my pilgrimage by the light of my heart, feeble and tired to the end of my road, behold me now with my face to the wall, playing music onto empty pockets. Somewhere between history and legend stands the real Ireland. And somewhere between the River Shannon and the open sea stand the cliffs of Moher. But for a tower that was built in 1835, neither heaven nor earth has ever been able to move these cliffs. Ireland is that way. The hills are as green as they've always been. Life is as quiet as it ever was. And time has a way of standing still. Let Pan Am take you there. You'll know you're flying the best there is, the world's most experienced airline. It's a good feeling. We've made it here to the final four. Let's take a look at each competitor one by one. James, tell us about Junk Food Junkies. Well, Junk Food Junkie came out in 1976, the year Greg and I were born, incidentally. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) your favorite? By Larry Gross. It spent 15 weeks on the Billboard 100 and reached uh, a height of number nine. Wow. Uh, It had a a B-side. The B-side of the record was... Muddy Boggy Banjo Man. I love that tune. That's why it's number B. It's my ringtone. <laughs> or that's the letter. But uh, Larry Gross, he, he went on to uh, to do children's records for Disney. Wow. And actually six went uh, six of them went on to be gold and two platinum. Uh, and since 1983, he has had a show on NPR, uh, on West Virginia Public Radio. Oh, it's a mountain showcase, I think. That's, oh. that's a uh, live music, I think. Yeah, so uh, next time you drive through West Virginia, <laughs> check out Jim Gross or Larry oh, Gross. Oh, nice. That's wow. interesting. That is very interesting. I'm glad he won. Frank, tell us about uh, <laughs> somebody <coming>. else. <laughs> it's They're Coming to Take Me Away. That's ah, yes. mine. Okay. It's uh, Jerry Samuels, but he's Napoleon the 13th or X15, whatever you want to do. It was 1966. It got up to number three on the Billboard Hot 100 on August 13th. And it was number four in the UK charts. It was based on this old uh, Scottish tune, The Campbells Are Coming. And he was a recording engineer, this guy. Much like the uh, witch doctor guy, he began messing around with stuff. And he had uh, he was at the studio in New York, and he, could do a, he had a, a variable frequency oscillator. And he was able to alter the pitch without changing the tempo. After the beginning, they dropped it because they thought it was making fun of the insane... So it reached those great heights, and then it plummeted, and then they weren't playing it anymore. And um, at several st- uh, stations, teenagers were picketing, uh, especially at WABC, 
And so they, they were picketing the radio station and they were carrying signs saying, we're coming to take you away, uh, WMCA. <laughs> so that's the great, they're coming to take you away. And is it true, I read on Wikipedia, the uh, general manager of that radio station said, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> Probably. Did that really happen? So uh, let me tell you a little bit about shaving cream, even though it's not something I use regularly. It's a song by written by Benny Bell, and it was originally sung by Paul Wynn. And, of course, Phil Winston made the version that we all know and love. It was reissued in 1975, and it went all the way to number 30 on the Billboard Hot 100. I didn't know all these novelty songs made it on the big radio. Well, it's big time here. And let's, how about a little bit about, that? let me let me rag on the Vatican rag a little bit here. <laughs> uh, 1965, by our good friend Tom Lear. And Tom Lear has uh, such a great life. He was a mathematician. He lectured on mathematics, musical theater, and political science. Well, that science. makes sense. <laughs> he taught at MIT, Harvard, and the illustrious, this is going to leave all those others in the dust, University of Santa Cruz. <laughs> and he wrote <laughs> for the electric the He wrote for the Electric Company. I think he even played Spider-Man in a few of those episodes. <laughs> and well, that's P- right. He did that silent E. Yeah. He turned a kit into a kite. <laughs> Something that like should that. have been on our on our. It should have been. He, he was in, my sources tell me that he was also in the doc, doctoral program at Harvard. And he worked at a researcher at, at Los Alamos. Ah. Uh, and so was a, a, a great singer and a maker of the death machine. And a soldier from 1955 to 1957. He's a busy guy. He did quite a bit. So those are our final four. Hope you got to get to know him a little bit. And we'll find out who moves on. All right. Let's find out right now. Let's find out. <laughs> ah, let's wait a week. All right, sports fans, it's time to find out who moves on to the championship round. We've got our final four. In the Mr. Natural, the winner of the Mr. Natural brackets, we have the number one seed Junk Food Junkies facing off against the number two seed coming out of nudity on the run. They're coming to take me away. Who moves on? This is is not going to be an easy job, boys. That's a tough one. I'm going to go for Junk Food Junkies just because it talks about junk food. And I have Sounds to go reasonable. with my heart on this one. They don't call me Jimmy Sweets for nothing. <laughs> junk Food Junkie goes on. Junk Food Junkie <laughs> going to the finals. And coming out of the Weird Al bracket, not a Weird Al song, incidentally, Shaving Cream facing off against the winner of This Is Your Grandmother's Bracket. Tom Lear and the Vatican Rag. Well, it's got to be Shaving Cream. Another one of those that, uh, one of the first novelty songs I heard. No question about it. From the very first words that pursed your lips, Frank, into my ears, Shaving Cream was it. (laughs) That's going to be it. Vatican Rag is eliminated (laughs) in a close one. Sorry, Lear. Shaving Cream moves on. So we've got our top two. We started with 64 and we narrowed it down to two. We've got Junk Food Junkies facing off against Shaving Cream. Who will be crowned champion? Find out. Well, we've started with 64 and we've narrowed it down to two. There's been a lot of a lot of fighting, a lot of crying, a lot of upset wives, 
But finally, we're here to crown a champion. So grab your beer, grab your wings, and buckle up, sports fans. We've got the number one seed, Junk Food Junkies, facing off against the number two seed, Shaving Cream. Who moves on? This is tough. This is very tough. And I'm going to go against my uh, own nature. Because I don't shave and I do eat junk food. But I'm going to say shaving cream. Shaving cream, uh, the most imbecile song there is. It. The only thing is funny about it is you'll play with some other <laughs> thing. But I love it. It was one of the earliest songs I can remember of the novelty. And you could only hear it on Dr. Demento, really. They weren't playing. You couldn't get it on Goofy Greats or any of those uh, records. So, yes, it's going to have to be shaving cream. Well, Frank, as usual, you're wrong, first and foremost. But let me tell you why you're wrong. Let me tell you a little story about a birthday party that I threw (laughs) where there was 64 ding-dongs consumed. I think we had three packages of Twinkies, a whole thing. It was was a decoupage, I think, is what you call it, of red vines. (laughs) There were Nutter Butters. Nutty, whatever those bars are, Nutty Bars. <laughs> there was... Little Debbie. <laughs> Little Debbie. They, Little Debbie was represented. Hostess was represented. Everybody was represented. Red Vines, American Licorice Company. It was like a trip to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. But Except there's no at, chocolate. But at Jimmy Tweets' house, I'm going to have to go with Junk Food Junkie because I truly am a Junk Food Junkie. Oh my gosh, are you putting a lot of pressure on me, boys? Well... This song that I'm choosing was probably the first novelty song I ever heard. And I, there were many years before I actually heard it, the recorded version, for about the first five years that I knew this song was in existence. It was sung by you too, just to me, <laughs> believe it or not. And I couldn't wait to hear it, but this was before the days of YouTube or internet or, or people who could sing very good. Uh, so I'm going to have to crown the champion of Shaving Cream ah, is our Vindic- oh. champion. And you had a lot to do with that, James, so there you have it. So, stick that in your pocket. <laughs> smoke it. Put that in your ding-dong and Twinkies. <laughs> so, Shaving Cream is crowned our champion of the 64 March Madness. What do you think, boys? Shaving. <laughs> well, I'm happy. Yeah, but grudgingly, I think it's there were some tough songs. There were a lot of good songs, but we got to go over them, and I think it was good. So tell us what you think. Go on our Facebook. Give us some feedback. Or what if you think uh, these brackets are right? You can also email email us at where James. It's sisg6000 at gmail.com. Or you can do none of these things like I will. <laughs> Anything else to say, boys? That's it. All right. See you next year. Yeah. What will it be? Who knows. Well, sadly, that's all the time we have, but uh, we gotta we gotta leave them with just a little bit more. So, Frank, what have we got? Well, we got the great Utah Phillips with his uh, magnum opus, Moose Turd Pie. I love it. Well, signing off. This is Greg. This is Uncle Frank. 
And this is Jimmy Sweets. We'll see you next time. Went down and got a job with the rural electrification in the Navajo Indian Reservation. Running electric power lines into all the Navajo outhouses. Was one of the first people to wire ahead for a reservation. <laughs> Finally, I, I'll tell you about the worst job I ever had in my life. Worst job I ever had in my life was working for the, for the, uh, was it the Santa Fe? Yeah, it was the Santa Fe Railroad, south of Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, that's the old Mormon Muddy Mission, you see. It's way out in what the Navajos call the boonies, out in the desert. Now, the job was gandy dancing. Now, gandy dancing used to be in the old days, gandy dancing was... Uh, when the Irish were building the railroad. Uh, of course, the first transcontinental railroad was built by Irish laborers. And they used these long-handled shovels called uh, Irish banjos that were made by the Gandhi Shovel Company of Chicago. Now, the Irish laborer would take the wide end of the shovel when he could find it, and he would <laughs> jam it in under a rail or a tie, and he would climb out on the long handle, do a little jig step out there, and that would lever the tie up or the rail up, and you push gravel in underneath it and tamp it down, and that levels the roadbed. See, that's what gandy dancing is. Leveling the roadbed so the damn train doesn't fall off as it goes by, which is just a big drag for everybody. <laughs> now, they don't do gandy dancing the normal way anymore, see, uh, like they did in the old days. Nowadays, they run three cars out on the line. They run a box car out there that's... Uh, a bunk car, you sleep in it, got bunks in there 18 inches apart. And then you got a tool car with your tamping irons and your tongs and, and your double jack hammers and spikes and all of that equipment, see, to do the job. And then you got a cook car. I mean, there's no restaurants anyplace around, so you got a cook car. Pots and pans and a coal or wood-burning stove and a long table down the middle to eat at. Only thing they don't hire is a cook. That's because they're cheap. Saves them money. The rule is, that in that crew, they're supposed to pick among their own members who's going to be the cook. Now, they don't try to do it sensibly, like draw lots or decide who the best cook is. What they do is they wait and find out who bitches and whines and pisses and moans the most about the cooking. And they say, all right, wise guy, you think you can do better, you get to be the cook. Well, that was me, see. <laughs> Old alligator mouth. The new man on the crew, and that was the worst food I'd ever had. I mean, it was dog bottom pie and pheasant sweat and otter water. It comes out of an otter. It's a terrible, terrible stuff. Some people might think it's a delicacy, but I thought it was garp. So I complained, and they said, all right, wise guy, you get to be the cook. That made me mad, because I didn't want to cook. But I knew if anybody complained about my cooking, that they were going to have to cook. Armed with that knowledge. I sallied forth over the muddy river. I was walking around among the cheat grass and bunch grass there, and I looked down, and there was just a hell of a big moose turd. <laughs> Biggest damn moose turd, that was a real steamer. <laughs> I looked down at that meadow wafer, and I said to myself, Self? I'm going to bake up a big moose turd pie. 
Because if anybody complains about my cooking, they're going to have to cook. So I tipped that pasture pastry up on edge. I got my shit together, so to speak. And I started rolling it down toward the old cook car. Boom, boom. I got it down there and leaned it up against the side and I climbed up in the cook car and I baked up a hell of a big pie shell. And I baked that moose turd in it as slick as you please. And I crimped the edges with my thumbs and laid strips of dough across it and garnished it with a sprig of parsley, a little paprika. It was beautiful. Poetry on a plate. And I served it for dessert, waiting for the first hint of a complaint. Well, this giant dude come in, about five foot forty. I mean, he was big. Throwed himself down like a fool on the stool. Picked up his fork. Took a big bite of that moose turd pie. Well, he threw down his fork, and he let out a beller, and he yelled, My God, that's moose turd pie! <laughs> It's good, though. <laughs> <laughs>